Thank you for listening to Fearless LA. We believe that where love is greater, fear is less. Tune in today to hear a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Jeremy Johnson. I want to I preach to you a message called, The Guardians Are Back. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, The Guardians Are Back. Now this is under the, the big subheading of the, the, the series we're in called what? I love my church. And we know that that's not Jeremy Johnson that came up with that thought. Um, that would be very self-serving because I'm the pastor of this church. Uh, but that is Jesus who, who we're quoting there because it was Jesus who we serve and that we love that said, man, there, if there's anything that I love, I love my church. In fact, we know that the Bible tells us that he, he who, because of who God made him to be, he runs galaxies and universes. And that at his name, there is no one that is, that is above his name. In fact, all names are below his name. But at the center of everything God does, he runs and rules the church. Come on, I love that because for many of my life, I've thought he ran and ruled my comfort. For much of my life, I thought he ran and ruled me getting a new job. Me, you know, because when I was praying for certain things, I was hating on his church. I was not being a part of his church. And the Bible is clear that at the center of what God loves, the center of his job description, he rules the church. In fact, he doesn't even just rule it like something he has in his hands. He's a part of it. The Bible goes on to say that he is the head of the church. And if we can look at the church as a symbol, one of the symbols it calls it is a body. And if Jesus is the head and we're the body, then we know that God called us out. He called us out of darkness. He saved us. He transformed us. How many here, God, changed your life? He did something great in your life. I know me at 19 years old, God, he restored my life. Man, I went to church, but I wasn't the church. I attended a church. I played drums in the church, but I was living like the devil from Monday through Saturday. And I was living that way because I was insecure. I was defeated. I was full of sin and shame and guilt. And I wore a mask to church while having uh, pain in my heart, while having things that uh, God, God, God had, I had left in my heart that God could heal. And uh, we know that, that when we start becoming the church, when we go from being workers in the church to owners in the church, we actually start doing what God called us to do. And my heart for us is that we could actually fall in love with his church again. I know, I know in our culture and in our day and age, um, many millennials, which is a really what a major portion of our church is, um, I'm kind of on that border year. I can either be a millennial or Generation X. It depends on what I want to rock with that day. You know, if I want to listen to Tupac or I want to, you know, anyways. Um, so uh, I like Nirvana sometimes. So I realize I'm a, a Generation X uh, but also a millennial, they, depending on what study. And so God has given us um, a passion for millennials in our church that we wouldn't just be a church for millennials. We would be a church that would be empowered by millennials and, and, and people that are young at heart, people that are st- maybe they're not a millennial, but they still got dreams and they're chasing those dreams. And they, they have a, a passion for millennials as well. Um, and so, you know, in, in, something in our millennial generation is that we start trying to do church by ourselves and church away from this community, this organization, because 
we don't really like organized religion because organized things kind of seem, um, you know, like a business, like a company. And, and I would say this. Look, here, I want to tell you this. God doesn't like that either. God does not like organized religion. He doesn't like disorganized religion. He doesn't like religion at all. He likes relationship. And, in fact, everything that we see in Jesus is perfect theology. Look, so here's the deal. If you read in the Bible and you don't see it in Jesus, you may have gotten the word wrong. Right? Many people use the Bible and, and they, they, they discredit Jesus is the Bible. Right? So if you don't see it in the person of Jesus, it doesn't matter if you've seen it in the Old Testament. You're reading it with the wrong perspective. Because in Jesus is perfect theology. Okay? So we can see, if you can see it in Jesus, this is what we should be rocking with. And you're confirming it through Scripture. The good news is Jesus didn't show up in the New Testament. He showed up in the Old Testament. I realized that when I started thinking, um, I was David killing the giant. You ever do that? You're reading the Bible. You're like, dude, I'm so like David right now, killing the giant. Like, man, this is me. Like, when you're reading the Bible, are you the hero? Because a lot of times I'm the hero. You know, I'm David killing the giant. I'm Moses splitting the sea. I got all these complaining people. And I got my staff. And we're, we're you know, and, 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 I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm Joshua bringing the walls down with my praise. But what I realized is I am none of those characters. I am in the story, but usually I'm the army on the side when the giant is taunting us, like going, oh, God, you know, uh, maybe I do have cancer because of that lump in my neck. Maybe maybe I am going to die here. Maybe it is going to, maybe what this giant's saying is truth. And then David shows up. You know who David is? Jesus. Jesus shows up and goes, I am the word, living in the word, and giant, you are going to hear the word today. You know who Jesus is? He's Moses with his staff, splitting the sea while I'm complaining about my enemy. I'm like, God, maybe I should just go back to slavery, go back to my past. It was easier living in my past than living in your call. God, you bring me here to fail. Have you ever said these things? So I realized, no, I'm not Moses. Jesus is Moses. Jesus is Joshua leading the charge. Come on, we're going to worship. We're going to worship around these walls. We're going to praise. So in Jesus is perfect theology. He's in the Old Testament. He shows up in the New Testament flesh form. And who hates him the most? Not the sinners. The sinners love this Jesus. Who hates him the most? The religious. The organized religion. The sterile on the outside, but dirty on the inside. Look, we're, we're not going to be that kind of church. Why? Because Jesus was not that kind of church. You know what's crazy? Is he even allowed Judas to roll with him, knowing, knowing he was going to turn on him. Jesus' grace and his love and his compassion was so radical. I love Jesus. And Jesus loved his church. This is the kind of church we're going to be. The kind of church that Jesus was proclaiming through his theology was a family. You see, God the Father, not God the... God the Father sent the Son. Oh, this is weird terminology. I know we're used to it, but just catch it for a second. Because I could say, why did Jesus come? And you would say, oh, to destroy the works of darkness. Yes, that is true. But it's a sub point. 
Why did Jesus come? To heal the sick. Yep, good, but it's a sub-point. What's the main thesis to the story? The father sent the son to an orphan planet with people who were fatherless to reveal the father in the son. Jesus kept saying things like this. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. What is he trying to say? Here's how you should pray. Father who art in heaven. Oh, wow, these are weird terms. What was Jesus trying to do? He was trying to deposit in the hearts of orphans the Father's heart, who the Father is. Look, he's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. And he's not in love with you because of what you have or haven't done. He loves you because you're his. So what is church? It's a family with a father. It's not an organization. It's a body. It's an organism. It's a life. Families are messy. Families are difficult. That's why we have the terms family meeting. So here we come, millennials, Generation X, baby boomers. Here we come. Come on. And we, and we want a sterile, clean church. We want to come with our sterile face on. Everything's going great. Everything's perfect. But on the inside, we're rotting away. We're dying to answer the altar call. We're dying to say, I need that word too. But we can't. Because we've put down people that aren't perfect, so now we gotta be perfect. It's a family, folks. Let down your hair, get involved, roll up your sleeves, protect each other. And the devil would love to come into a family and make you an orphan again. But I'm not gonna let him. Uh, this is the way I believe this church is going to give the devil a headache. Number one, you're going to be a tender. Number two, you're going to be a servant. Number three, when you start worshiping, that's the kind of headache it gives. But if you become a unifier of the family, he's going to have a total collapse. Come on, I don't know about you, but I want to give the devil a headache today. I love my church, which is my family. You can hate on my family, but don't try to get me to hate on my family. I may hate them, but you ain't going to hear it out loud. Because when I talk bad about them, I'm talking bad about me. Because we bear the same name. Okay, okay, good. I'm going to read some scripture now. Here we go. Okay. Man, I'm just trying to give the devil a black eye. I'm tired of... Acts 20, 28 says, take care and be on guard for yourself. Come on, touch your neighbor and say, you got to take care. Come on, if we're going to be healthy, you got to be on guard. Not for everybody else. I know you're good at being on guard for everybody else's stuff. But we all need to start getting on guard for our stuff. In other words, we got to stop looking at the speck in other people's eye and start going, okay, what's in me? This, this is what I do every time I, I read this word, every time I get ready to preach. I'm not trying to find something I can preach to you so you can get better. I'm trying to help me get better. I'm letting this word work through me. And then maybe I can share it with you. Look, God doesn't say, 
don't get the plank out of your eye. He says, first get the plank out of your eye, then go help your brother with the speck. So here's what we're going to take care and we're going to be on guard. How can you help others if you can't help yourself? Right? So take care, be on guard for yourselves and for the whole flock. So we know that this is a flock. These are sheep. This is, this is, a, this is how God describes us, which doesn't sound fun, but praise God. Thank you for that, Lord. The whole flock over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as bishops and as guardians. That's why I wanted this version because the word guardians is my word today. Do you see that? Come on. Spirit has appointed you as bishops and as guardians. Touch your neighbor and say, you're a guardian. And then he says, he goes on to shepherd. Then he says, to tend and feed and guide. The church of the Lord of God, which he has obtained for himself, buying it and saving it for himself with his own blood. So this is what a guardian does. A guardian tends. Somebody say tend. Come on. If we're going to bring back the guardians, we're going to have to be those that tend. What is this? When you're a shepherd and you're tending to the sheep, when you're tending to the sheep, you're removing pest. You're 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 helping wounds get healed and you're keeping the, the sheep healthy. So we're going to tend to the flock. We're not just going to tend to ourselves. We're going to tend to ourselves so that we can tend and be guardians to the flock. Number two, it says to feed. So, so, so when, a, when a shepherd feeds, he does not put grain in his hand and hold it out. This is what we think. Hey, you know, you need this word. You need this word. You need this word. That doesn't work. It's, that's called control. People don't like to be controlled. What, what we're called to do is to guide people into all truth, like the Holy Spirit. What a shepherd does is he guides you into a pasture, and it's up to you to eat. Many people are at church, and they go, man, I just wasn't getting fed at that church. No, you weren't eating where the shepherd led you. So, so my job is not to hand feed you. It's not to intravenously feed you. That's, that's called weak and anemic, and we will do that if we have to. But if you're really whole and you're living for Jesus, we're we just going to guide you. Look, this, is not, this should not be the end to your Bible study this week. This should be the beginning. Okay, so, so my job is to bring you to green pastures and say, come on, the food is good. Come on, eat this right here. Come on, I love my church. God loves his church. Come on, look what he, come on, come in here. Come on, this is unity. God loves unity. Come on, this is forgiveness. He loves forgiveness. Now it's up to us to go, I'm hungry for this because I'm not eating all that crap, all the junk food. Now a goat will eat trash. And when it gets to the grass, it won't be hungry. God is looking for sheep, not goats. Okay, so we're going we're to get to the grass and we're going to be hungry. Come on. I should be able to open John 3, 16 and you're like, hmm, that tastes good. There's some fiber in that. Is, is, this, is this from Whole Foods? Oh, no, this is from Air One. What kind of what amazing grass is this? Is this, I mean, this is, this is, this is organic. This is, uh, this is what we want to be. We want to we tend, we want to feed, and we want to guide. So I, my job is to guide you through the mountains and the valleys. I'm not going to give up on you on the valleys because I know that God is ultimately our shepherd through the valleys. And, ye, and in the valley, we're not going to fear. We're not going to be afraid. Good. So we're going to tend. We're going to feed. We're going to guide. Uh, the word guardian, by definition, uh, has three parts to it as well. It means to be a defender, to be a protector, and to be a keeper. 
to be, to be a defender, a protector, and a keeper. These are the three things we're going to be as the church of Jesus Christ. We're, we're going to defend the flame. We're going to protect the flame. And we're going to keep the flame. Le Leviticus 6.13 says this. The fire must be kept burning on the altar. And continuously, it must not go out. There are actually people in the Bible who would guard the fire in the temple. They were guardians of the fire. And they would keep it. They would tend it, protect it, and they would defend it. Because God said, there will be a fire on the altar in my house. And I'm looking for a group of people that are passionate enough to keep revival and life and truth and heat and light and power and purification burning on the altar in my temple. Look, we're going to be a we're going to be people that are tenders to the flame. We're going to be a people that are protectors of the flame. We're going to be a people that are defenders of the flame. But we're going to be a people that are keepers of the flame. It means it's up to us to keep putting stuff on the altar to watch God bring new power and life through what we place on the altar. Many of us want fire on the altar, but we're not willing to place something on the altar. We're waiting for pastor to place something or another church member to place something. Come on, this is why we do, David comes up here and says, come on, let's give to the Lord. Let's be generous givers. How can we be generous if it costs us nothing? How can we be generous if it's out of the extra? Come on, we got to start giving to God before we give to the men of this world and the women of this world and to our rent and to our bills. And we say, God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to trust you first. And we begin to make a sacrifice of praise on the altar. David said it this way. I don't want to give you a praise that cost me nothing. He said that because when he was in a town, he was about to sacrifice a bull. And because it was King David, one of the people in the town was like, oh, king, no worries, man. You're the king. You can take any bull in my, my herd. David saying, how much is it going to cost? He said, you can have anyone because you're King David. And David looked at him. He says, I will pay for the bull because I will not give God a sacrifice that cost me nothing. Was he being weird or strange? No, he was saying to a generation, I'm a worshiper and I'm a warrior. I'm going to bring to sacrifice and it's going to be a fire because it cost me something. God's looking for guardians of the house. Come on, we had a fire at conference, but if we want that fire to remain, we got to be defenders, protectors, and keepers. Or we could have organized religion as usual. Dead, cold, and sterile. Or we can let this get messy. We can let this be a wildfire on the altar. We can let heat come to this city and light come to this city. I'm believing that God is raising up a generation of guardians who are protectors of the flame. All through the Bible, it talks about this word guardians, guardians, guardians. Uh, it said that the guardians would stand at the threshold, 1 Chronicles 9.19, that they were assigned to guard the threshold of the tent. Their ancestors had been assigned to the Lord's camp as the guardians of the entrance. 1 Chronicles 9.24 goes on further to say the guardians were stationed on four sides, the east, the west, the north, and the south. So, so turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you got a, you got a station. I, here's what I wonder. What is your station? Because some of you thought everybody needs to be stationed at the pulpit. Some of you thought everybody needs to be stationed in the church. No, no. The, we are the church. 
The church is not in this building. You know this is a nightclub, right? You know that people getting down in a funky way in here other days of the week. This is just church one day a week. Look, this is not where we're to be stationed. We're, maybe it is on Friday night. Maybe you need to be stationed. Maybe this is the east. Maybe for you, the west is your family. Maybe for you, the south is your acting job. Maybe, maybe for you, it's the creative thing that you're doing, that business you're starting. God is calling us to be guardians. Look, and the guardians are stationed on the east, the west, the north, the south. We don't need them all in one place. God says, I want you to be stationed on your area. Even in the people that serve at this church, we're all stationed at different places guarding this house. There's a person stationed on the soundboard right now, being a keeper, a protector, a tender of the flame. There's a person that will greet you walking in. They're being a keeper, a protector, and a tender of the flame. As Josh is up here worshiping, he's being a keeper, a protector, and a tender of the flame. When Jeremy's down there making coffee, he's not making coffee. He's being a keeper, a protector, a tender of the flame. Today, when I brought this message, I said, God, how do I keep? How do I protect? And how do I tend to this flame? God, the, the fire on your altar wouldn't go out. I love this. I love this last thing. It says 2 Kings 11, uh, 6. It tells us that there is actually a third of you at the surrogate and a third of you at the gate behind the guards. Keep watch over the palace and defend it. Come on, we're going to be guardians, but guardians have a certain clothing they wear. So I would ask you today, what clothing are you wearing? I know a lot of, a lot of my life I've been wearing the clothing of insecurity. Clothing of of, of humility, but really it was insecurity. Oh, not me, just God. No, no, I had a part of this as well, but I, I, I'm too insecure to realize that God could use me because I'm a failure. I'm, we're wearing the clothing of, I'm going to always be sick. We're the clothing of poverty. Wearing the clothing of the victim. The, the victim mentality will never work in the church because it does not work in relationships. This is the seat of the victim. So you know why it doesn't work in the church? Because it, it doesn't work in relationships. And the church it would work in the church if the church was an organization because we would all just submit and let that person sit. But in relationships, the, the seat of the victim doesn't work. I need to let you know this if you're single because if you think you can carry this into marriage, it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. You know, you're frustrated with your roommates. No one's letting you be the victim. They're trying to be the victim, and that was your seat. So if you can just get rid of these roommates, then you, you could be the victim again. Well, let, let me tell you, when you get your wife or your husband, that chair, the, the chair never leaves your house. You have to make a choice to fold it up and put it in the back room. For, for the first part, let me tell you this. For the first year of me and my wife's marriage, we fought over this chair. I'm the victim. You're not the victim. You ever had someone that one-ups you? We got to ask your question. Why were you giving them the story in the first place? Did you want them to feel sorry for you? And why was it hard when they wound up to you? Because they made you get out of the seat and they took the seat. Now I'm speaking to myself. I ain't trying to put you. I'm just talking about reality. Here's the deal. At the second year, we had gotten really good at this chair. We figured out when to let one sit in it and then when to let the other sit in it. Like, oh. 
oh, I'm so sorry, you know. And hey, next week, will you let me sit in it? Okay, yes, because uh, you let me sit in it. And then, then we'd share, and then I'd sit in it, and, and oh, poor me, you know, I'm just the youth pastor at this mega church, and I just, I have a budget. It's not the biggest budget, but, you know, I don't have as many workers as the, the worship ministry, and I wish your dad, her dad, who was the pastor, I wish he would call on me to preach more, and he doesn't, and then my wife said, oh, honey, let me, let me just lick your wounds. Why don't you sit there? And, and then I would, I would give, I would get up and, and I wouldn't sit in the seat of the victor because you cannot entertain the seat of the victim while sitting in the seat of the vi- Oh, I'm so sorry, honey, that you've been going through that with your family. Oh, poor you, poor you. And we, we got really good at this. The problem happened when we had kids. I was 33 when we had kids. That's the same year Jesus died on the cross. And it's also the same year we planted this church. Pick up my cross and follow you. You know what happens when you get kids? They will kick you out of this chair so fast. And they have no mental capacity to realize that they are hogging that chair. I want food. It's 12 at night. I want food now. You never feed me. You don't love me. You don't have any care for me. All the other kids get food at 12 at night. You never give me it's like, son, you're crazy. Like, what's wrong with you? Come on, I can't believe I have a son. Like, No, get out of that chair, Dad. You can't sit in. And your kids will not share that chair with you. And for the first time, you have to realize either we kill selfishness inside of us and we fold up this chair and we choose to sit in the chair of... Look, you can't bring that... Look, that chair needs to remain empty in this church. We'll let the devil sit in it, but we ain't going to lick his wounds. That chair does not belong in any relationship. That's the clothing that some of us are wearing. The victim, when you're the victor. Come on, you're the victor in Christ Jesus. Do you need him to die on the cross again? No. One time was good enough for us. The power of God in him was good enough for everything that would ever come against me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Doesn't mean the weapon won't form. So when it forms, don't freak out. Oh, you said it would form. But the good thing is you never said it would destroy me. Come on, you're going to use this weapon that's been formed against me to prosper me in Christ Jesus. So here's the things we got to put off if we're going to put on. You ready? There's a lot of them. You ain't going to be even take notes. So just listen, close your eyes, allow the Holy Spirit to touch you. I'll send these out on my Instagram. Put off. We're going to put off this year bitterness. And we're going to put off. See, God never asked you to put something off and leave you naked. What happened in the garden? God found Adam naked and he was embarrassed. He's clothing himself with leaving. God said, oh, you don't have to be naked. I'm not embarrassed by your nakedness, but let me clothe you. God was the first seamstress. He clothed him clothes. He killed an animal and clothed him with it. God was the first seamstress. So so God's not just trying to get you to take off so you'll be embarrassed. He's going to have you take off that to put something else. So we're going to take off bitterness. Come on, some of us have been wearing that jacket for a long time. Some of us like those people, you know, when they come in their closet and they're like, yeah, this is like, you know, you, you shouldn't wear this. You stuck in the 80s here in a bad way. And the, the floral doesn't go good with your eyes. This is what God's saying to you. He's coming in your closet right now. And some of you are going to get anxiety. Some of you are going to get fear. But let me tell you, he's going to replace it with clothes you could not afford. 
Look, he's going down to Melrose. He's going into the highest stores. He's going to give you things that you cannot buy on your own. Look, he, he wants you to take off bitterness this year, and he's going to give you forgiveness. You cannot forgive unless he gives it to you. He wants you to take off selfishness, and he's going to ask you to put on self-denial. He, he's going to ask you to take off pride, and instead he's going to replace it with humility. I'm going to take it off. If you take off pride, he's going to give you humility. He's going to ask you to take off boasting, conceit, and put on brokenness. We're reading this one book called The Final Quest. And at the beginning of the book, they're getting all this cool armor. It's all symbolism of, of the spiritual world. I love that book. And they're getting all this cool armor, and the armor's really bright and shiny. And, and, and the armor blinds the enemy, but it also starts blinding them. And so these higher end, these higher level warriors find this special cloak that they put on over the armor. And it gives them the ability to not be blinded in the battle by the righteousness they were given. And they put this cloak on. They're seeing things that other pe people can't see. And all the angels start bowing to them. And they're like, what's happening? It's all this book, this cool symbolism. All these angels start bowing to them. They say, why are you bowing to us? And they go, because you're wearing the same cloak that he wore. Jesus wore the cloak of humility. Come on. We want to be like him, huh? Brokenness. We're going to put off stubbornness, and we're going to honor authority. We're going to put off disrespect for authority, and we're going to, we're going to bring submission in this house. We're going to put off rebellion, and we're going to call for obedience. We're going to put off disobedience, and we're going to call for patience. We're going to put off ungratefulness. And we're going to ask God to give us a grateful heart. We're going, to, we're going to put off murmuring and complaining. And we're going to trade it for praise and adoration. We're going to put off jealousy. And we're going to put on trust. We're going to take off strife. And we're going to put on peace. Come on. This is the clothing of a guardian. We're going to take off getting even. And we're going to tr return evil for good. We're going to take off losing our temper for self-control. We're going to take off anger for a soft answer. We're going to take off hatred for love. We're going to remove gossip. We're going to remove gossip. We're going to remove gossip. And we're going to replace it for edifying speech. We're going to remove speaking evil and replace it with a good report. We're going to remove a critical spirit and replace it with kindness. We're going to remove lying and speak truth. We're going to remove profanity and speak purity we're going to remove idle words idle words what's your car doing when it's an idol not moving we're not talking about words that are taking you backwards we're talking about words that keep you in the same place so it's not a sin just to speak about people's past it's a sin to speak about their present like it will always be their present come on we're going to remove idle words which are easy to say and we're going to bridle the tongue we're going to remove wrong motives and put in spiritual motives. We're going to remove evil thoughts and put in pure thoughts. We're going to remove complacency and ask for zeal. Come on, not hype, not energy, but zeal for his house. Come on, does anybody love his church in this room? We're going to remove laziness and put on the armor of diligence. We're going to remove slothfulness and put on a wholeheartedness. 
We're going to remove hypocrisy and bring us new sincerity. We're going to remove worry and fear and bring trust. We're going to remove unbelief and ask for faith. We're going to remove no burden for the lost, for compassion and witnessing. We're going to remove bearing our talents to developing our abilities. Do you want more? There's only a few more. We're going to remove procrastination and ask for diligence. We're going to bring relevance back, reverence back to the church and remove irreverence. We're going to remove cheating and bring honesty back to this house. We're going to remove stealing and bring giving back to this house. We're going to remove the love of money for the love of God. The last one, we're going to stop following the crowd and start fearing God. This is going to be a fearless church. If you want to come to a church that pampers you and keeps you in the seat of the victim, this is not your church. Because I was not called to entertain people's itching ears. I was called to empower and make disciples. And sometimes when you're making disciples, you got to call them to a, not an idle place, but a future forward place. And I'm calling you here because I know God's calling you here. He's calling you to have a love for his house, to have a heart for his house, to say, God, if there's a problem in this house, I'm going to fix it. God, bring me to this house. God, I'm a son or a daughter in this house. That means I have the key. That means I get to paint my room. That means I get to decorate how I want to decorate. This is my house. If it's messy, I'm going to pick it up. If it's clean, I could bring over guests. God is calling a church without fear to rise, a church of guardians that are defenders, that are protectors, and are keepers of the flame. I don't know about you, but I will protect, I will keep, and I will defend the flame on the altar so the lost can find Jesus, so they can be warmed. And Lord, I remove the victim's seat. I am not a victim. I'm not who they said I am. I'm not their words over me. I'm not their accusations. I'm not their hurt. God, if I was their hurt and their words and what they said and what they did, I would have been dead a long time ago. But I'm still here. I'm still praising you, God. So I know, God, you have a plan for my life. And Lord, your plan for my life is greater than what anybody can say, what anybody can do, what anybody can speak. God, I speak life over this house. I speak joy over this house. I speak. God, this is going to be a house that gives the devil one of those kind of headaches. A house that is unified. A house that is whole. A house that is able to say, I love my church. I love my church. I love my church because my church is your church. God, I will be a guardian. And Jesus is speaking over L.A. right now. Bring back the guardians. Bring back the guardians. Bring back the guardians. Dressed in their clothing. Stationed at their watch. At the entrance of my temple.
calling forth the glory of God from the highways to the byways, in the hedges, and with the sinners, and with the lost, and with the hurting. God's calling forth a new breed of Christians in L.A. And I speak to you, mighty army, awaken from your dead and dry bones and receive the life of Jesus that only he can give. In Jesus' mighty, powerful name. Thank you for listening. If you have something that you need prayer for, we would love to pray for you. Visit fearlessla.com slash fearless TV to fill out a prayer request or find more information about Fearless Church.